You're listening to DraftKings Network. Now, he's still a football agent. But let me say this. I have seen too many times where small-time football agents have a player that blows up, that gets better, that becomes more of a name, that becomes more of a player, that has a future, and they leave the small-time agent for a big agency. there. Welcome, boys and girls, to another edition of the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt. I'm your host, Andrew Brandt. We're produced by Jack Connell. Musical producer is Sam Brandt. You hear his tunes under where I'm talking now. And of course, we are presented, as always, by DraftKings. It's a holiday edition of Brandt's Rants today. I hope you're enjoying the time. Take it easy with your family and friends over the next 10 days or so. Enjoy this holiday season. Make it work for you. Make it peaceful. Make it relaxed. Make it comfortable as you rev up for 2024. And I hope this podcast goes along with you. This is trying to be unique among the landscape of sports podcasts. I know there's even a lot of sports business podcasts out there. What I try to do is bring you unique and differentiated knowledge and insight and perspective you don't get anywhere else. And that's kind of what I've been settling on with this podcast the past few months is really given my takes on the news. Everyone else can talk about the news. I can tell you what's behind the news. And of course, the business of sports is what's going on. The games, to me, are just the storefront. What's really going on is inside the game, around the game, behind the game, and the people that really are making decisions are not the players. They're the people around the game. So let's get into all that. i got a lot to talk about today. And I'm going to start with this storybook uh, fairy tale that's happening in northern Jersey the past couple weeks about the New York Giants starting quarterback now by injury, Tommy DeVito. So Tommy DeVito is this practice squad quarterback signed by his hometown Giants that lo and behold becomes the starter. Daniel Jones gets hurt out for the year. Tyrod Taylor out for a couple weeks. They go to the third string, Tommy DeVito. And he's kind of known around like he's playing a little bit. And then we get to the Monday night game last week against my Packers, an unfortunate result for Green Bay and a great result for the Giants and Tommy DeVito. And as a a evaluator, he looked good. You know, he didn't the moment didn't seem too big for him. He didn't throw any picks. He was a clean player and he led them to a winning game, a winning score and beat the Green Bay Packers fair and square. Tommy DeVito. But during that game, as millions of people know, we looked at his family, his dad, his kiss-happy dad. We saw his brother. And then to the left of the dad, to our right on the screen, was Sean Stellato. Sean's an agent. Sean is Tommy's agent. Sean is Italian. Sean is known around the industry as a grinder that fights for his guys, not the most highly rated guys in the NFL, but he gets them. And he's got Tommy. And then the whirlwind began for Sean. I tried to get him on this podcast, but I'm not big enough. He goes on McAfee, he goes on ESPN, he goes on wherever. And he's a celebrity in himself uh, for a while. 
Now, that was all the good news. This week, kind of the different side of things hits. Coniglio's, a pizzeria up somewhere in that area, allegedly had a deal with Stellato to bring in Tommy last night, Tuesday the 19th, to the pizza shop to have some pizza, sign some autographs, and at one point make $10,000 for doing so. Coniglio's had it all set up. Sean Stellato, according to reports, says, no, no, no. We want 20, not 10, because Tommy blew up last week. Why not ask for 20? And of course, they say no. Then the back and forth happens through the media. And Stellato says we're just negotiating. It was never a hard deal. But then there's a text that's released by in social media that says the Coniglio's people say that here's the text saying Stellato from Stellato, we're good for 10K again. I'm a lawyer. That's probably an offer, an agreement. That's probably enough for an agreement right there. Yes. So a renegle, reneging. Anyway, DeVito shows up last night. Good on him. Okay. A few things going on. First, let's start there. Good on Tommy DeVito to show up to the pizza place, not get caught up in the business aspect, not get involved in the back and forth. Is it 10, 20, 10 grand? Is it 20 grand? I assume he made 10 grand showing up and not getting into the whole business side, just doing what's right. Now, as for the pizza joint, sure, hold on to the 10. If you don't want to pay the 20, you got a deal for 10, honor the deal. It sounds like both DeVito and Coniglio's people honored the 10K deal that was originally made. Now let's get to Stellato. <laughs> Stellato is nowhere to be found uh, publicly after being all over the news last week and talking about DeVito. Did he try to ride the wave and squeeze out another 10 grand from a local business? Yeah, he probably did. Do I fault him for doing that? I fault him if there was a signed agreement and a texted agreement, yes. But if he's trying to squeeze out a better deal and it was not an agreement, more power to him. You got to ride the wave. It's the hottest this kid may ever be in his career right now. And he tried to ride the wave if there was no agreement. If there was an agreement, it's bad on Stellato. You honor it. And you try to squeeze money out of the new people coming after he blew up on Monday night. You don't squeeze them out when Coniglos was paying 10 grand before he was the talk of the town. So good on Coniglios, good on DeVito, on Stellato. Hey, if your word is your bond, that's all you have in the agent business and the team business and all businesses. If he reneged, no, don't do that. Take the 10K, go get another 10K, 15K, 30K, whatever it is, based on the newfound celebrity with other businesses. And it doesn't have to be a local pizza place. Go to a New York, go anywhere. Go to a national deal if you can get it. All right. Now, do, this is something Stellato has already suffered some blowback. According to reports, DeVito has hired a marketing agent, Lep Selter, who's very involved with athletes around New York, getting them deals, marketing. And marketing, you can charge a lot more than the max you can charge on team contracts, which is 3%. Marketing, there's no limit. Charge 10, 15, 20, 30, 33% I've seen in some of these marketing deals. And maybe Stellato is getting that on Coniglio's. But this is something where Stellato has lost that part of the DeVito business. Now, he's still a football agent. But let me say this. 
I have seen too many times where small time football agents have a player that blows up, that gets better, that becomes more of a name, that becomes more of a player, that has a future, and they leave the small time agent for a big agency. It's unfortunate, but it's realistic. It happens all the time. In fact, I was called to be an expert witness by one of these smaller agents suing a big agency that stole his client. I didn't take the case, but I see it all the time. This is what happens. Small time agents lose players when they become bigger players to big time agencies. Will Stilato hold on to DeVito? You would think so. The dad's kissing him. The family seems to love him. Tommy seems to love him on the football side, although the marketing was a fiasco on this deal. And we'll see. But the story of Sean Stilato over the last two weeks is as interesting to me as the story of Tommy DeVito. Sean became a household name based on the, uh, the Monday night football game when he's kissing and getting kissed by Mr. Tommy DeVito Sr. And then, of course, he has the national tour. And now he's kind of hiding after this Coniglio's kerfuffle. We don't know exactly what happened. Okay, last point here is, hey, Tommy, <laughs> I love the story. Everyone does. You're living at home. You're a stone's throw from the Giants. You got mom. She's doing your laundry. She's making your meals. But I, I draw the line at the bed, right? I draw the line at bed making. The idea that mom is still making your bed at age 24, 25, I don't care that you're a practice squad, and I certainly don't care that you're now the starter. Like, Tommy, make your own bed. All right? If mom wants to run a load of laundry, sure. If mom wants to feed you with some cutlets, sure. No problem. It's family dinner. But, Tommy, make your own bed. Okay? We don't need to hear about mom still making his bed. Tommy DeVito can make your own bed. All right, let's move on. <laughs> Stay in the NFL with quarterbacks, my old friend. I say old friend because we were close 15 years ago, maybe. We haven't talked much since. So I'd say old friend, but not really current friend. I don't talk to Aaron much, but I respect him. I have always found Aaron to be interesting, Aaron Rodgers. But this idea that he was going to play took on a life of its own after the Achilles injury. Of course, because he's asked about it, and he has a national stage whenever he wants. And he says he's going to defy all the odds and prove all the people wrong. And he says he's going to play, and he says he's going to play mid-December. Mid and it's not clear whether the giant Jets have to be in it or out of it, which, of course, everyone expected, as I did. They would be out of it. But he goes on McAfee yesterday and says, yeah, I'm not going to play. <laughs> okay. So basically... You know, what Aaron Rodgers has been this offseason is an ESPN commentator or an ESPN podcaster where once a week he has this session on ESPN with McAfee. Some of it's, I think, off ESPN. And so it's like a podcast and he'll talk and he'll rate the Jets performance and he'll talk some politics and bust on Joe Biden or Anthony Fauci or whoever that the target is that day and he'll bust on the media and he'll bust on the jets for leaking something about Zach Wilson and he'll bust on the so-called experts. <laughs> he'll praise his teammates. 
And uh, yeah, that's been his role. Now, of course, rehab is there, but everyone's doing rehab is injured. I mean, I think rehab is the natural part of what you do when you're hurt. So he's rehabbing and Kirk Cousins is rehabbing. J.K. Dobbins is rehabbing. Jalen Phillips is rehabbing. I think they're all Achilles injuries. But Aaron's got a national podcast while he's rehabbing with Pat, Pat McAfee. Uh, so it's that's what he's been, you know, and I listen, anyone who's followed me know there's no more unabashed fan of Aaron over the past several years. And I've taken a lot of heat for that. But <laughs> this was a bill of goods, right? I mean, the whole idea of the Jets this year was all in on Aaron. And of course, no one's ever going to say that Aaron's their GM, but come on. They're going to pay Alan Lazard $11 million a year without Aaron Rodgers there? Of course not. They're going to sign Randall Cobb without Aaron Rodgers there? Of course not. They're going to sign Tim Boyle, who got a starting job one week and was cut the next week, without Aaron Rodgers? Of course not. Of course not. So they bought in all, all in on Aaron. I mean, from the moment they went out to California, kissed the ring, and had that six, seven-week courtship while the Packers were trying to negotiate with them, and the Packers squeezed them. So the Packers got their two high-second-round high, high second round picks. This one this year will be a top-40 pick. The Packers offloaded $100-plus million, turned into $75 million for the Jets, for a player that was never going to play for them again, for a player that was replaced by Jordan Love, just like Aaron Rodgers replaced Brett Favre. good deal for the Packers. I said it all along. I said they had leverage and they used it and they did because the Jets were desperate and their desperation continued throughout the year in signing all these players like Lazard and Cobb and Boyle in holding out hope for Aaron and not doing anything about their backup situation. Now I know there's not much on the street, but Joe Flacco comes off the couch and he's throwing 300 yards a game for the Browns, not a great offense. Could trade for one of those guys, Jacoby Brissett, whatever it may be. But they stuck with Wilson because Wilson was a second overall pick, even though they spent the entire offseason wooing Rodgers to replace Wilson. <laughs> but they're back to Wilson. And, of course, they don't want anyone to come in and potentially challenge Aaron Rodgers next year. So, it, again, the Jets – went all in on Rodgers to sign him, to keep him happy, to maintain his happiness, and they'll do it again next year, it appears. And Aaron had a rehab offseason where he got to speak every week about how it's going and anything else he wanted to talk about. But this is unique, right? I guess I'm bringing it up because I've never seen this. Anyone ever seen this? <laughs> where a player's hurt in the beginning of the year, and we hear from him every week, and he just has a stage to talk about whatever he wants to talk about while he's rehabbing. You know, again, I'm not saying it's bad or good, but rehab players usually are pretty quiet. I don't think we're hearing a lot from Kirk Cousins or J.K. Dobbins or whatever. Who I know that they doesn't have a following that Aaron does, but I'm just sort of, sort of. I mean, I read an article in the Ringer about this. It's it's an interesting time when Aaron decides or says on the, on the McAfee show yesterday, yeah, I'm not playing. 
when all we heard was that he was targeting this time to play. And we heard that from him. So <laughs> it's, it's quite a time. Uh, again, I'm a fan. I think he can do things that no one else can do in the history of the sport. But I think the Jets sold their soul. Now, will it pay off next year? Sure. He's got $37 million waiting in a guarantee. He says he's going to play after that. Sure. We'll see. But, again, injuries happen. But he's 39, and he had a history of, of, of uh, calf injuries. And the Jets didn't protect themselves other than Zach Wilson, who, again, was the player they spent off season try, all offseason trying to replace. Okay, let's move to college. It's a big time with transfers, right? And we go back to there will be lawyers. Antitrust lawyers have been the scourge for the NBA. They're the bane of their existence right now. Because every time the NCAA tries to restrict something, you got lawyers coming in and saying, why are you doing that? Because Joe Blow can't be restricted, non-athlete. Why are you doing it to athletes? And it's a good argument. So here we are. We got another one. Multi-time transfers. So the rule is you transfer once, you can play right away. You transfer twice, unless it's ruled a hardship, you can't play for a year or unless you're a grad student. So what's happening is all these multi-time transfers can't play. And what happened in West Virginia is this player battle who can't play got all the West Virginia people up in arms. He should be able to play. He's a good player. He's our best player. West Virginia attorney general, along with other attorney generals, goes to court and lo and behold, the court rules that, yeah, these multi-time transfers should play. And there's celebration, but then it's only two weeks till the next hearing. What are we going to do? What if they burn a year and then they're told they can't play? Well, it so happened they pushed this off till the spring when college basketball season is over. So you don't burn a year. You can play the whole year. It's great news for teams with multi-time transfers that were sitting out, they immediately become better. I personally have a vested interest in this, and I'm excited for my son. He's graduating SMU. He's working for another school in Dallas, UT Arlington's college basketball team, where he's worked since the summer. A former coach at SMU, got a head assistant job there, brought in my son, and they're doing it. He's had, got a good job up there with analytics and video and everything else. So anyway, their best player has been sitting out because he's a multi-time transfer, went to St. Louis first, then went to Southeast Missouri. Now he's at UT Arlington. And all of a sudden he can play. And first game Saturday against Air Force, he throws in 29. So it's a good day for my son, a good day for transfers. It just continues the idea that you can't restrict these people. What is the NCAA going to do about it? These are bigger questions. They're trying to get Congress to just sort of bail them out with everything. But we've got so many lawsuits circling. I just mentioned one of many, the one being the multi-time transfers, which is not resolved, but these players are playing at least through the spring. Then you've got the House case. We're talking about past NIL money, could be billions, including media shares. We've got all these suits trying to get uh, players labeled employees. There's one in Philadelphia. Johnson VNCA, Johnson's former Villanova player. We've got in California a suit against the Pac-12, the NCA, and USC regarding labor standards as an employee. 
Dartmouth is seeking unionization, their men's basketball team. It's all happening. NCAA is trying to get out of it with some kind of 30,000 pay from the from the schools, not from the collectives, make it Title IX friendly. I don't know the answer, but I know this, that the jig is up for the NCA restricting athletes and even more than education-related benefits, as the Supreme Court said in 2021. NIL is a mess. Um, transfer portals wide open. It's free agency without a salary cap. It's where we are. So I think even the most staunch player advocates regarding college athletes think there should be some kind of regulation. The question is what and how and when. That's what we're all looking for. Speaking of transfers, the top-rated quarterback in ESPN's rankings for from high school to college just committed to his third school where he's staying now, Nebraska. D Dylan Rayola was committed to Ohio State, then was committed to Georgia, now is committed to Nebraska. Lo and behold, now he's got a father who was an All-American at Nebraska, Dominic Rayola. He's got an uncle who's an offensive line coach at Nebraska, which gives you begs the question: Now, why is didn't he not commit? Why did he not commit to Nebraska the first time? Well, I don't know. Why is he committing to Georgia and Ohio State when his dad's a big alum at Nebraska and his uncle's the coach there on the offensive line? How is that happening? Well, now I think we know. Last week, Matt Rule, the coach of Nebraska says, yeah, to get a quarterback these days is going to cost $1, $2 million, meaning NIL money. And whoever he was speaking to, he was subtly speaking to the boosters and donors in Nebraska, like, step it up. We can get this Rayola kid if you step it up. And lo and behold, a week after the speech, Rayola is committing to Nebraska, where again, his dad and uncle have a strong history but he wasn't committing there last year. He had two schools before there. So this is fascinating. Dylan Rayola, everyone in Nebraska is thrilled to have this guy. Why did he not commit there in the first place? I think we know. Follow the money. Okay, a couple other little things. We haven't talked since Brazil. We heard about the NFL going to Brazil and Madrid and Australia as they continue their international games. Now Brazil's in set in stone. It's going to be next year, and it may even be on the opening weekend, according to Peter King. We'll see. But it just continues what I've talked about. I don't think there's going to be an international team. I don't think there's going to be an international conference. I do think there'll be an international schedule. Eight games, every team plays there every other year. The conference that doesn't that does have nine home games hosts the games that year. And it will be a combination of London and Germany and Brazil and others. It's competitively balanced. Every team plays international games every other year. Simple, easily, easy, and most importantly for the NFL, competitively balanced. <clears throat> will there be infrastructure problems around Sao Paulo, Brazil? Perhaps, but it's a first event. And I'm sure the NFL will marshal tremendous resources to make that a success. Finally, I've been getting a lot of questions about last week's key topic, the Otani contract, to review. It's a $700 million contract paid over 20 years. The first $20 million is paid over the first 10 years. The latter $680 million paid in equal installments years 11 through 20. Again, $2 million years 1 through 10, $68 million years 11 through 20. 
present value 45 to 46 million a year, 460 million. Why didn't they just give them a $460 million contract? Well, the answer from Rotani's point of view has to be taxes. They have managed to create a way where the taxes coming in for the latter part of the contract, maybe the whole 10 years starting in 2034, are, receive, are, are based on living in Florida or Texas or Japan or wherever he's going to live that does not include California. In other words, he's not paying the huge California taxes, which could be a savings to him, uh, some estimate of 50, 60, $80 million. So then it becomes not a $700 million contract, but a 760 or $80 million contract with increased present value as well. I think small market clubs are upset about this. Not so much the deferrals because any team can do deferrals. The CBA has no restriction on either the percentage or the level of deferrals. What I think they'd be upset about is that the Dodgers can do this. The Dodgers have no problem owned by private uh, equity and Guggenheim partners putting out a, a liability of $68 million a year starting 10 years from now. Other teams just can't do that. They're not going to put liabilities in their future of 20, 30, 40, 68 million dollars a year. <clears throat> the other thing is that the Dodgers are playing fast and loose with the luxury tax payroll. Now, again, going back to the first point, everyone can do this. Whether they will do it is going to be interesting because that's something that smaller markets simply can't justify throwing that much money out into an uncertain future where who knows what's going to be going on. Uh, and again, you can say, well, if they sell it, somebody else, well, if they sell it, that liability is factored into the sale price. So it all has to come due. So again, Otani's the most unique contract I've ever seen. It had to be pushed by the agent side as much as the teams, as much as teams like deferrals. I've said this before. I'll say it again. As a team executive for 11 years, I could have never imagined suggesting that to an agent. I'd suggest 2 million of deferrals on a big bonus and people go nuts. So deferrals are good for the team, but I think it's good that we have in the lexicon now that it's really a $460 million contract. You have to understand these things for what they are. And again, this love of the Bobby Bonilla situation, the narrative is so wrong there. Teams want to defer. Players should take the money now, invest it money now is <clears throat> so much better than money later. Had to say that. Okay. Again, share this podcast with a friend. Give us an Apple rating or wherever you hear your podcast. Really like to know your feedback. You can also email me, Andrew at Andrew-Brandt.com. Any questions, thoughts, I'll answer your questions on the pod if I get them and they're good ones. All right. Newsletter every week, andrew-brandt.com, Sports Business League, where you get me every day and weekly meetings at sportsbusinessleague.com. Instagram, where I do reels at Andrew Brandt 2, Twitter, Andrew Brandt, and of course, my columns at Sports Illustrated. In addition to this favorite thing, this unique and differentiated podcast, give you a quick and insightful and informative view of the world of business of sports every week from myself. <clears throat> All right. My voice says we're done. Thanks to Jack Connell, my producer. 
Sam Brandt, my son, for the musical interlude below us. Thanks to you for listening. I'll be back next week with another edition of the Business of Sport.